0: morning church. We'll go ahead and stand and uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this beautiful morning that you've given us. Um, God, for breathing breath into our lungs once again. And uh, Father, it's just uh, our prayer that we would be able to just sing praises to you this morning with hearts full of praise for you. And um, God, that we would just give you All the praise, honor, and glory in every aspect of our lives. We love you, Father, and thank you for loving us first. Say this in your Son's holy name. Amen. Are you thirsty? Are you empty? Come and drink these living waters. Tired and broken, peace unspoken, rest beside these living waters. Sing that verse again. Are you thirsty?
1: Welcome, everybody. Happy Mother's Day to you mothers out there. So glad that you're able to join us this morning. We're going to go ahead and dismiss the children to go downstairs with Sister Roberta and Sister Tara. We'll take anybody that needs to go into the nursery. They're back there waiting for you. But make sure you hug your moms and tell them thank you for being such a good mom this morning or someone who takes care of you as a mom. All right. All right. My mom, uh, I'm unable to tell my mom Happy Mother's Day today because she's in Italy on a cruise with my daughter, Grace, spending my inheritance. (laughs) Just kidding. I wouldn't have it any other way, except for me being there in place. Anyway, moving on. (laughs) Um, But so grateful for mothers and for what you do. Um, uh, Such an important role that you play. And we... um, value that here, and lift you up, and um, ask that God would bless you, not only today, but through through the the coming days as you battle on and become a mother. From what I hear, I haven't had any leave the house yet, I'm getting real close, but it never stops. You never stop being a mom or a dad, but I'd be so so grateful for you, what you do for your children, raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord that God God commands, and uh, all of you do such a wonderful job, so I appreciate you. We're going to be in Mark chapter 2, Mark chapter 2, verses 18 through 22 this morning. Mark chapter 2. As we've been going through, we've um, we've started off the series after ending uh, Ecclesiastes and seeing how... Uh, Solomon took us through everything that this world has to desire, has to give to us as a means to satisfy us and he's we see that we saw that it was all vanity it, it all mounted to nothing and that ultimately purpose and meaning is found in in walking and living your life in the pursuit of the glory of God and to live for him. And for His purposes. And as we talked about last week, we see Mark here who opened up his, his uh, what Peter had told him as far as the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ and demonstrating to his readers and ultimately the Holy Spirit demonstrating to us some 2,000 years later of the the uniqueness of Jesus Christ, his power, his, his means in which he's uh, identified himself as the Messiah, as the Son of God, all these unique properties. He not only said he was of God and from heaven and, uh, um, and declared that the gospel, the kingdom of God had come near through him, but then he demonstrated his authority. It begins to demonstrate his authority as recorded here in Mark uh, by healing people, casting out demons out of people, all these different things. Last week we talked about, we, we closed with this. The previous passages about um, him calling his effectual call to Matthew and again demonstrating God's power in that and this morning we come uh, in verses 18 through 22 and we we see this thing about a desire or a hunger for Jesus a hunger for de- Jesus let's go ahead and read the passage and then we'll get into it verse 18 says this the word of the Lord now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting And people came and asked him, why do John's disciples and the Pharisees' disciples fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, the wedding guests cannot fast while the groom is with them, can they? As long as they have the groom with them, they cannot fast. But the time will come when the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast on that day. Verse 21, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new patch pulls away from the, if you could turn off the pulpit mic, that'd be great. Thank you. Uh, No one uh, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth of an old old garment. Otherwise, the new patch pulls away from the old cloth and the worst tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins and the wine is lost as well as the skins. No new wine is put into fresh wineskins. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. Lord, we're so thankful, God, for this opportunity, God, to be able to open up your word, to proclaim those wonderful praises of, of uh, song this morning from um, as Tanner led us, God, to that they're all focused on you and focused on what you're doing uh, in this world uh, through your gracious uh, salvation that you've uh, that you've demonstrated in Christ Jesus, we're so grateful for that, God. We're we're here to worship you now in spirit and in truth. As we open up your Word, we ask, Lord, that you would uh, glorify yourself by uh, through the power of your Spirit, Lord, to be able to um, to uh, Father. We just pray that you're, you would help us set aside distractions, God, and uh, that we would fo- be able to focus on you and your truth, Lord, that anything from the outside would, would be uh, not allowed, Father, that we would just be able to, to work and to focus and to, to worship you, God, through the preaching of your word. We ask that you would do a mighty work in our hearts, and we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. So here's this passage of fasting. This idea of fasting, we see that um, they, they come to Jesus and they say, Hey, John, the, John the Baptist, his disciples are fasting, and, and so are the Pharisees' disciples. They're fasting. So, so why aren't your disciples fasting? People, right? Disciples are people that follow after a teacher, and specifically in the Jewish uh, understanding. Let's just go ahead and switch to the pulpit mic. That means I have to get chained to the pulpit i can 't walk around it 's going to be very difficult for me pray for me um, so and so the, these disciples are are fasting, and so we see if you study the idea the ancient uh, east. Uh, back in this day, uh, fasting wasn't just specific to the Jewish people. All the cultures had this idea of fasting. And so this is a part of the religious worship of the time. And, a, and, and newsflash to us here in the New Testament context, fasting should be a part of our worship as well, as the New Testament uh, demonstrates to us as well. And so what is this fasting? Fasting is a is an intentional right a prohibition of, of certain foods, or all foods, or sometimes it's food. All food and water we see in Scripture. And it's, a, it's an idea of this religious worship to dine to ourselves to try to push our, our flesh and our desires, our desires, out so that we can focus more on God. And so we see here that John the Baptist disciples and the Pharisees, they, they had disciples. There's, there's really... Um, in Leviticus, there's, there's one mention uh, on Yom Kippur of setting aside a time to humble yourselves, but it doesn't explicitly say that the children of Israel are commanded to fast, but we see them doing that often in Scripture. So there's no particular command to fast, but, it, but it's this idea that is, is sustained throughout the Old and the New Testament. And it's, uh, again, prohibiting ourselves from, from food or, and water sometimes, uh uh in the in the in the means to pur- pursue god and we see examples of that uh of fasting in scripture um on Jesus, uh, when ex- Moses is up on Mount Sinai right um we see him that Moses was went without food and water right for 40 days and so we all know that right if the body goes without water we can go without food for quite some time, but if we go without water for, for just a few days, right, we, we will die. And so we see uh, God um, God's sustaining presence on Mount Sinai when Moses goes up and, and fasts, prohibits himself from being, uh, eating food and water for 40, day, 40 days on Exodus 34, 28. All right? Another example of, of fasting is found in Daniel, uh, Daniel chapter 9. Daniel's praying for, for God's people. And he says here in daniel nine three so I turn my attention to the Lord to seek him by prayer and petitions right as new testament the the, the New Testament calls us to pray without ceasing, so this is very applicable to us. But Daniel's concerned for his people, and so he he's interceding for his, for the people of god and and so we have an opportunity to intercede for the saints of God in prayer as well. This is an example for us to not only intercede in prayer but also with fasting. So I turned my attention to the Lord to Lord God to seek him by prayer and petitions with fasting, sackcloth and ashes. And Daniel saw the importance to intercede. For his people and draw near to God and, and seek uh, after God. And so he, he went to God, not only in prayer, but with, uh, voluntarily withholding himself from food and maybe even water. Um, another one is in Esther. We see uh, the king, uh, the, uh, um, the, the king of the time, uh, Ahas- Ahasuerus, who um, put out an edict to kill all the Jews and the Jews found out about that. And so what did they do? They, they went to the Lord with great uh, prayer and fasting. Uh, Esther 4.3, there were, was a great mourning among the Jews with fasting and weeping and lamenting, asking God to intercede. And as we read through the book of Esther, right, one of, the, one of the great historical accounts of God's people or God delivering God's people found in Esther. As they went to God in prayer and fasting, God did indeed deliver them so uh, that 's an example of of fasting that's found in scripture intense intercessions uh, sustaining power and presence of god is is found in fasting. Another example is uh, connected with repentance and humbling right when we have a repentant heart we 've talked about it often, but it's it 's something that we have to continue to talk about because the word repentance is so loaded with with uh, religious connotation that as soon as I say the word repentance people automatically assume oh it's the it's the thing I have to do to prove to God that I'm really sorry for what I've done and that I can earn my merit back and, and favor with him back as I as I seek to 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 do good and not not return to the sin that I've committed, and that's not what the biblical repentance is. What biblical repentance is is a changing of the mind, understanding that we cannot, in our own strength and power, do anything to please a holy and just God. Our righteousness is as filthy rags, and we have to understand that before we can receive the good news. believe the good news of Jesus Christ that Jesus that's why Jesus had to come Jesus had to come to live in our account to live perfectly and righteously to fulfill the law perfectly only to go to the cross to pay for the penalty of sin for you and for I for the sin that we've committed and a holy and just God must punish Jesus took that punishment upon himself so that we might be given the righteousness of Christ this gift of salvation is a free gift free for us, but it costs the death of the Son of God on your account. And when you hear that and understand what, what God has done for you, God has demonstrated his love in, a, in so much that he sent his one and only Son, right? We have this change of mindset. saying, I cannot do it in my own strength. I cannot do it in my own power. It is a gift, as we talked about Last week, the effectual call of God, it's the power of God demonstrating himself, making us alive to Christ as the gospel is proclaimed. And we hear it, and we have this change of mind, right? Faith and repentance are of the same coin, that, we, that belief that we place in Jesus is also on the other side of the coin, repentance, where we have this change of mind and no longer try to earn merit with God by our own ways and means of doing things or no longer deny God wherever you were at before Christ deny his existence, you have that change of mind, and, and that change of mind causes you to follow after him. To, that change of mind leads to a change in direction. So repentance is this change of mind that leads to a change in direction. By God's grace, it's been 16 years now of daily having this attitude of repentance. Well, I wish it was daily, Right? But that's what I need and that's, God often has to bring me to the end of myself so that I would have this taken on this attitude of repentance not only the day that I was saved but every day abandon hope in my goodness abandon hope in my abilities and place my faith and trust in Christ and allow the spirit and I don't do this perfectly and everyone that knows me knows this, right? But allow the spirit to empower me to live a life to seek God's glory. This is the idea of repentance, and it's an idea that Christians should have and seek after every day, every minute, of every day. I can't do it on my own strength. I know Jesus has done it for me. I know God has promised me the Spirit of God who dwells within me. I must live and seek him for his glory and that's the idea of repentance this is what Joel uh and brother Jerry read for us this morning this idea of of turning back to the god constantly this is uh the prophet Joel who's who's calling out to to god's people and the old testament and asking them and declaring to them, "They must return to God. They must have this idea of repentance, change of mind that leads to a change in direction, they're rejecting God at this point. Even now, this is the Lord's declaration, Joel declares, "Turn to me with all your heart." And so we see this idea of fasting incorporated with repentance, with fasting, weeping and mourning. The Holy Spirit has come to convict us of our guilt. And when we sin, we we grieve the spirit of God as as believers, those of us who are in Christ this morning. We know what it's like. You know, I remember before I encountered Christ, they used to go, oh, those born agains, right? They just receive they say, I believe in Jesus, he paid it all, and then they just go on living like like you know, however they want. But I neglected to understand and people that have that idea about what the New Testament teaches, neglect to understand. That it's the power of God unto salvation and that you become a new creature in Christ, who seeks right, this given this heart that seeks the desire to, to to love God and to pursue him. Not out of a means of why uh what's gonna happen if we don't, right? If you don't do, you're gonna get punished. No, we're we're in Christ. We seek to follow God and to pursue him and to live for him because we want to reflect the love he's given to us. The love he's demonstrated to us in Christ. But this idea of doing that is, is in this idea of, of repentance. It's about our hearts. What comes out of our mouth rightfully flex our heart, Jesus says. And that is what defiles a man. And Joel says to the Old Testament states, but we can take application to this. Tear your hearts, not just your clothes, right? In the Old Testament, we see time and time again, someone who, who was mourning or had sinned and they, they, they've, been, they've been found out. And what do they do? They rend their clothes. They rip their, 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 their shirt to demonstrate to the people around them that they're just in agony because of what they've done. And Jill says, don't worry about your shirt. It's about your heart. Tear your hearts, not just your clothes. And return to the Lord. For he, why? Oh, I love this. For he is gracious and compassionate. He's slow to anger. Abounding in faithful love. And he relents from sinning disaster. This is the picture that the prophet Joel paints for us. Of our God who, who has made a way for us to, to be adopted into his family. He's demonstrated his graciousness and his, his compassion. And, and if you're like me, when, when you get into those seasons of life where you, God just seems distant and, you, and you're, you're allowing the heart of, of, the, of stone that, that ruled and reigned before you encountered Christ to, to kind of be fed and walked out in your life, and you, you know the, things, the spiritual things become cold and distant. I, maybe it's just me, but I think all of us might be able to say, yeah, we've had those moments and seasons in life. And this idea has been pounded into my head again and again is I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy of his love. I'm not worthy of his compassion. And so, therefore, I'll just keep walking to my own strength. I'll keep doing my thing because I, I can't. Do you see it? That's the legalistic flesh speaking to us. That we're somehow trying to earn back God's favor that we found out, fell out of his favor. And now we're trying to earn it back. And since we can't earn it back, we're just going to ignore him. No, Christian. He has made a way to Christ. You stand in his righteousness. God is gracious to you. You're an object of his grace. Seek him. Turn to him when you sin. Confess to him when you sin. He's not aloof and stand off. He desires for you to have this repentant heart. To run to him for protection and for shelter and for cleansing. In 1 John, he says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This idea of repentance should be daily. For he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger. Turn to him. The scriptures declare, Psalm uh, David, King David. Is praying for his enemies in Psalm 35. All right. Sometimes, and it's, this is not all the time. I mean, there's imprecatory prayer, uh Psalms that that like pray against his enemies and ask God to to, to judge them. But there's also Psalms like this, Psalm 35:13, where David prays for his enemies. Yet when they were sick, uh, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled myself with fasting. And my prayer was genuine. And so he; these people are who are after him, he, he prays for them. He humbles himself. And so this idea of fasting is pictured with repentance and humility. And Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, I'm getting away from my notes. So I don't know where we're going here, but pray for me. <laughs> right? John chapter 5, maybe 6, Jesus says, Pray for your enemies, right? Or pray, uh, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, right? New Testament followers of Jesus, we are to pray and love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. And that's an act of humility. And maybe you're like me and it's so so easy today to, to get on the Facebook and, or to follow your news channel and, and it's, it just turns into us versus them and good versus evil and, and all these things. But, but as followers of God, this idea of fasting is important for us even if it has, doesn't have anything to do with food. Maybe we should just avoid the news channel for a while and pick up the Bible and begin to pray For those enemies, to begin to ask God to humble your ourselves, to give them, to have Him give us a sense of love for our enemies. I humbled myself with fasting, and my prayer was genuine, and that's what our Lord Jesus calls us to do. Uh, another example of fasting in Scripture is connected with worship in the New Testament. We see. Luke chapter 2, verse 37, and was a widow. So here's Anna, the prophetess Anna, who was in the temple before Jesus arrives, right? And she's she's worshiping God, and this is her her means to worship God. She's giving her time over to, to the duties in the temple, in the woman's court, but she's also doing this. She did not leave the temple serving God night and day with how? With fasting and prayers. Oh, the power of prayer! God's people—we have, the writer of Hebrews says, the ability to come before the throne of grace boldly at any time to pray and to fast. And other examples: uh, seeking guidance. Uh, the church here, Acts thirteen two through three. All right, the church is uh, meeting together corporately. Here in Acts 13, and as they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, so they're worshiping the Lord corporately and fasting corporately. And so by the end of the sermon today, I'm going to ask that we all join in a corporate fast this week. Together, as a church body, that we seek God in this means. By prayer and by fasting as is modeled to us here in Acts 13. And they were worshiping the Lord, And fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And um, verse 3 says, Then after they had fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them off. All right? So we see um, the the church meeting together, corporately fasting, seeking guidance from God, the Spirit, and God moving because of it. So just a brief... Recount, this is not exhaustive, by the way, right? The idea and the topic of fasting, I could go on and on. So I'm just trying to give you the highlights, what I, what I found to be uh, most edifying and beneficial for us. So why fasting that we find in Scripture, sustaining presence of God? We see that in Moses, right? Intense intercession, when we're so burdened by somebody and we so desire God to act We not only have the opportunity and ability to pray, but we can go and say, God, this is so important for me. I'm setting aside my lunch hour so I could just spend time asking you to work in this situation. Or maybe it's a lunch hour and a dinner. Or maybe it's a couple days. Interceding on the behalf of others. We see repentance and humility Associated with fasting, authentic worship, being associated with not only prayer, but, but fasting and seeking guidance from God. But ultimately, we get back to our text, the foundational text that we started with this morning. The foundation for, for the means and the, the reason why we should fast is ultimately our hunger, our spiritual hunger to be in the presence of Jesus, the bridegroom. All right, That's what Jesus says. To them, he's asked, why aren't your disciples fasting? And Jesus said to them, the wedding guests cannot fast while the groom is with them, can they? As long as they have the groom with them, they cannot fast. He's speaking of himself. The groom is with them. He's yet to go to the cross, but he knows He's there to fulfill the Father's will perfectly and he knows he's going to the cross and he knows he will ultimately be uh, back at the right hand of the presence of of the Father, forever making intercession for the saints, the writers of Hebrews says. And that's what he says, but the time will come when, when the groom will be taken away from them and then they will fast on that day. And he goes on to give them a couple parables to understand why it's crazy to think that they should be fasting, right? So we see in the Old Testament that it's, it's a cultural thing for the Jewish people. There's that one day a year that uh, most scholars would say, although it doesn't explicitly say that they should fast on Yom Kippur or the Day of Atonement, that, that, that's typically what the scholars say that, that it's pointing to. So it's, it's not directly commanded, but we see the people, children of Israel doing this, this, this idea of fasting. And so, as with everything, right, something that starts off with good intentions. Man, it's hard to stay here. Something that starts off with good intentions and a a way to, to, to connect and have a spiritual hunger for God turns into something of piety, to an outward demonstration of how good and how religious we are to other people around us. And so the Pharisees begin to fast twice a week. They fasted at least twice a week, and so their disciples would do the same. But it became about not a fast to, to seek after the face of God, but, but a fast to, to demonstrate people, their righteousness to those around them, to be pious in the eyes of men. And Jesus says, My disciples aren't fasting because I'm here. It should be a celebration. Because the groom is here. The groom is present. In Jewish traditions, right? We see time and time again in the Old Testament. There was a time of of mourning and judgment for the children of Israel. And in those times, they, they would fast. They would mourn. They would seek after God's face and ask God to work in their account and come to their rescue. But there's also times in the Old Testament when there was times of celebration a Jewish wedding is a time to celebrate because the fulfillment in Genesis 2 where the, where the man should leave the husband and wife or husband and mother and become one with his wife as one flesh is being fulfilled. God's design of marriage is being fulfilled and it's a time for great celebration. And so he gives these parables to, to try to demonstrate the point. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on An old garment, otherwise, the new path patch pulls away from the old cloth, and a worse tear is made. So anyone that knows sewing, I don't, but apparently just reading it for face value right you're You're not supposed to take a new piece of cloth and mate it with a or mend it with a an old piece of cloth because it ends up tearing because the strengths are different, or flexibility, all those fun things, right and he's saying. No one should be fasting because it's like it's, it's, it's worthless. The bride or the groom is here. The groom is present. He goes on to give, offer another illustration, and no one puts new wine into old wine skins. Otherwise, the wine will burst and uh, burst the skins, and the wine is lost as well as the skins. No new wine is put into fresh wine skins, and so he's talking about new wine that's, that's just been pressed and, and trod out. It's placed into, a. they used animal skins as a means to, to hold the wine. And he's saying you can't reuse a, a wine skin because it's already stretched because of the fermentation. Right? I had a, a pastor when I, a couple pastors, try to, try to insist that um, the wine that Jesus made in John chapter 2 was non-alcoholic and that Jesus would never drink wine but we see this being played out historically speaking it just cannot be the case what he's saying is wine is made wine when it ferments and if you pour it into a goatskin and after it ferments and expands the skin right you can't put after it's empty you can't put new wine back into it because it'll burst you have to use new wine skin so there goes the theory that wine is just grape juice back in the old in this time. But he ultimately the point is is Jesus is saying it's senseless to fast while the groom is present. And ultimately he says but there's coming a time when the groom will not be there. And that's ultimately the foundation in which us in the New Testament context has this opportunity to seek God not only and seek his face in the presence of Jesus, not only in prayer, but fasting as well. Because, unfortunately, Jesus isn't before our eyes. Not yet. He's coming, the promise of scripture declares. And as beautiful as it is, as it is that the Holy Spirit dwells side of us, and we have the opportunity to approach God in prayer and and, and those things, as beautiful as that is, we know something's missing. We know there's a greater kingdom to come. We know there's coming a day when we'll see Jesus face to face. And in between that time, The the promise of Scripture in Revelation 16.9 is we're going to encounter and really go through this marriage supper of the Lamb in the future that is to come. John, the Apostle John, is given this revelation of of the the end times and and the consummation of God's kingdom and all, all sickness and death and war will be put away. And he... He's talking. He's, he's describing what he's seen, And I heard something like the voice of a vast multitude, like the sound of cascading water and like the rumbling of loud thunder saying, Hallelujah! Because our Lord God, the Almighty, reigns. And let us be glad, rejoice, and give him glory because the marriage supper of the Lamb has come and his bride has prepared herself. You see the consummation of this is ha- going to happen. We won't have to fast anymore because we will celebrate when we see our Jesus, our Savior, face to face. In the time to come, uh, the chief sp- speaking of the church here, or uh, the, the bride of Christ, she was given fine linen to wear, bright and pure. For the fine linen represents the righteous acts of the saints. Again, clothed in the righteousness of Christ. That's the promise given to us in the gospel. And then he said to me, "Right, blessed are those in, that are invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb. And he also said to me, and the Holy Spirit says to us this morning, these words of God are true. If you're in Christ this morning, this is what awaits you. Until then, we have a means and an opportunity to seek the face of God, to seek Jesus, and not only in prayer, but in fasting. And again, uh, fasting is not commanded in Scripture. Not in the Old Testament, well, maybe in the the Yom Kippur, but not in the New Testament. But as we see in the Scriptures, in the New Testament Scriptures, that we're about ready to go over Matthew chapter 6, although it's not commanded, it is assumed that we will... Incorporate fasting into our form of worship, right? We we not only sing, we we come and meet together, and we study the Word of God. We hear it proclaimed. Those are all forms of worship. We give, right? When we give to our money, all of us can could use that money for other things, but but God tells us that we are to worship Him through giving, to to allow Him to use those monies to advance His His work and His kingdom throughout the world. And it's also assumed that part of our worship will be fasting. And I know some of us don't have, aren't able to because of medical conditions, but that doesn't take away the, the fact that it is an assumed form of worship for the New Testament believer. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus talks about how to fast properly. And I say, when I say it's assumed, I take it from this verse. He says, whenever you fast, this is the words of Jesus, so he's not saying... You know, if you choose to fast or fasting is no longer appropriate, that's an Old Testament thing. No, he says, whenever you fast, he's assuming that we're going to be fasting after he leaves, right, in the sense of the Father. Whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites. So the first point is, Jesus is assuming that we'll be incorporating fasting in our worship. And then in verses 16 through 18, we also see that the foundation of fasting is we just want to seek him so much. We, we are so overwhelmed with worries and anxiety of this world that, that we, we set aside food or, or, you know, although the New Testament doesn't talk about it in, the, in our context, right? It's set aside new, the news channel for, for a day or two or for a week. And just instead of spending your time being overwhelmed by what they're feeding you down the tube, seek God's face or food, If you want to be biblical about it, set apart food. Go without eating, not just to, or not to merit God's favor, but to, because you're so concerned and overwhelmed, you want so much God to work and and to rescue that you, you would rather pray and spend that time instead of eating and feeding your flesh, right? To seek God's face in prayer. Instead. The foundation is a spiritual hunger for the presence of Jesus. That's the the means for authentic worship through fasting. And Jesus warns us of some traps that we might fall into if we're not careful that the Pharisees and those religious leaders fell into. In verses 16 through 18, Whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites, for they make their faces unattractive so that their fasting is obvious to people. So it's no longer about seeking God's face. It's about fasting for other people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your face, uh, on your head, and wash your face. So he says, get up, get a sh- take a shower in our modern-day context, right? And don't go out in the public going, oh, I'm fasting, right? No, go out. Because you're not fasting for people's for the praise of men. You're fasting for the presence of of God and for God's um, face, seeking God's face. Verse 18, so that your fasting isn't obvious to others, but, you, but to your Father who is in secret. You're fasting for God and for God to work and to act. And so that's the heart and foundation of, of fasting. To seek God's face, to fast for him. And not for mankind or for other men. And this is the promise. And your father who sees you in secret will reward you. He takes note. Fasting isn't something that's just something that we do to be pious. And I think all of us have been there. We've been so overwhelmed with grief that we can't even eat. Right? But then our flesh wants to take us and just keep us in that grief. And have our you know the, that, that, um, that conversation that's going on in our head just keep us there and entrenched and in the pit of despair, but what Jesus is calling to us in those moments in those times when I mean, we can't even have instead of just living in that despair and grief seek God. we want to intercede for those who need Jesus or our battling cancer. Just take an afternoon and instead of eating, seek God's face and ask him to intercede on their behalf. And your father who sees you in secret will reward you. Again, I just want to ask, um, again, this isn't a command. This is purely voluntary. But on Wednesday, I'm going to be seeking God and, and fasting. There's a number of things. Marcy uh, is diagnosed with cancer, so I'm going to be praying for her thyroid cancer, and she's got surgery coming up. I want to pray for not only the physical uh, ailments that are in this church, and and we pray for often, but I want to pray for the, the spiritual health of this church. So many things. The stuff that's going on in Europe, make a list. You don't mind let's let's see what we see in the new, in, in the scriptures and, and corporately seek god's face in prayer and in fasting and however long it is for you that's between you and god but i ask that you would consider that on wednesday that as a church as corporately we will see god's face let's pray father we're thankful for this opportunity to see and uh, to uh, see what you've done for us in Christ, um, this great salvation that you've given us the opportunity as your children to come before your throne of grace boldly. At any time, God, we can present our prayers before you, and we thank you for this uh, this teaching that we find in Scripture that, that there's times when when it is necessary for us to, that we're so overwhelmed with the pressures and the, 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 the grief and anxiety of this of this world, Lord, that, that you've called us to, 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 to push those things aside and seek your face instead of feeding our belly. Or maybe it's another thing, Lord. I just pray you work in the hearts of your people this morning. That if fasting hasn't been a part of their form of worship for you, that today would be the day that the journey that you would put in their heart, their, a conviction for them to do so. Maybe it's just a meal. Or maybe it's a day or two, Lord. And I just pray you would work mightily. And ultimately, God, it's for your glory that we ask these things. We don't seek to pray and to fast so that our needs would be filled, but that you would demonstrate your glory through your power, demonstrated through us, that you would be glorified, God, as we seek your face in prayer and fasting. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.
0: Are you thirsty? Are you empty? Come and drink these living waters. Tired and broken. Peace unspoken Rest beside these living waters Christ is calling Find refreshing At the cross of living grace Lay your life down All the old gone Rise up in these living waters. There's a river that flows with mercy and love, bringing joy to the city of our God. There our hope is secure. Do not fear anymore. Praise the Lord of living moving, mercy washing, healing in these living waters. Lead your children to the shoreline, life is in these living waters. There's a city of our God. There our hope is secure, do not fear. Of forgiveness, vast and boundless, Christ, He is our living water. There's a river that flows with mercy. Blessings Church.